Live from Salt Lake City, this is Heart of the Matter, where we do all we can to worship God in spirit and in truth. Oh, darn it. Hey, Mary. <laughs> we, uh, we have a top, we have a high-end program going on. Go out to my car and get one of the shirts. Yeah, I want to show it to you. I forgot to bring one up. Okay, listen, let's uh, start with a word of prayer. For those of you who still believe in it, uh, Lord, we just do talk to you. We petition you and ask you to be with us uh, in spirit and in truth and to help us to understand uh, more about you because that's life eternal, to know you and your son. And so that's why we get together and talk. There's a lot to talk about tonight, Lord. So be with us and be with our, our staff and uh, everybody who's involved in keeping the uh, ministry going. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, I promoted three ministries that I really like. I think they, they do good. I think they do godly good, so to speak, in sharing the good news in the most important ways. The first one was Ex-Mormon Files with Bishop Earl, exmormonfiles.com, calm, insightful interviews of people who were once LDS and have left it for a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we had talkingtomormons.org. That's very informational. It's humorous. It's sound doctrine, and it's, uh, they have a lot of things going on with TalkingToMormons.org. They're expanding out in what they uh, do, so uh, definitely um, uh, love and appreciate them. And then we introduce CheckMyChurch.org, and uh, let's take a look at a little spot from CheckMyChurch.org. source for quality church reviews. I am so excited about what uh, Sarah is doing with us. She's, she's a friend of mine, and she's a smart woman and uh, kind, uh, but she gets Christianity. She was raised in it. She cut her teeth in it, and she knows what church playing is, and she's seen it all. The stuff these pastors are doing and how they're responding to her and her questioning. And like I said last week, she's a bulldog. Uh, it's hilarious. And uh, there's another spot we're going to run next week or the week after, whatever, that has some quotes about how they're responding to some of the questionnaires and things she's putting out there. Um, the reason they are resisting so heavily, and I'm really glad. I would love to see this take off on a national basis and become a huge website where every church is examined uh, for what they teach, what they do, and what they're doing. Uh, but they're threatened. Their, their, their control is being threatened. Their money is being threatened. Their livelihood, 
of getting up and playing church every week is being threatened. And uh, so pray for Sarah and Joe. They're the ones who are running this. Uh, she's already been threatened with libel by one pastor, uh, but that didn't, see, that didn't seem to hold any water. Pray for Sarah and Joe as they do checkmychurch.com because there's heat on them and it's going to grow because she's not backing off. Listen, additionally, some of you are aware that we're involved in what's called the Transversional Apostolic Record, which is a new version of the New Testament where we're going through and we're just trying to help people understand how to read it and, and understand its principles rather than trying to take things that were applicable to that age and assign it to ourselves. Well, anybody who's been, who has supported us in that, uh, we sent them these t-shirts. They came out last week, uh, and they were mailed out last week. These are TVAR t-shirts, and they are going out to people who support, uh, the TVAR and the production of it over the next five years. I just wanted to show you that. If you're one of those people, expect to get that in the mail. And that symbol on the front is the symbol that will go on the front of those New Testaments once they're out. So um, got a question from Danny, a guy named Danny, on last week's show. It says, uh, there's some typos here, but I'm going to try to read it as it says, How can Christ have had the total victory if, as you believe, the resurrection is totally spiritual thereby reducing his victory to purely virtual. Um, he writes, See, if this is true, then the world never ends, and as long as man exists on the earth and is in the flesh, then the reality is sin will always exist. And this is a really good question. It's really important because, uh, and Danny addresses it correctly, Jesus' kingdom has never been of this world. And that, that's the thing you just have to understand. I, the, the scripture says this world will go on forever. It says the ages will end, but this earth it will go on forever. There'll be no end. We have passages that say that. We don't have a single passage in the Bible that says this world in a true Greek understanding of the word cosmos is ending. Nowhere. It's talking about the end of an age, not this world. So if this world is going to continue to go on and this world in the flesh is sinful, sin in the flesh will forever be here. We're human beings. That's just a foregone conclusion. Jesus said, my kingdom's not of this world. Do you get that? My kingdom is not of this world. I didn't come to establish a government. I didn't come to overcome a fleshly sin on this earth. His kingdom is in us. It is established on high and it is experienced through us spiritually. So you're right, Danny. Uh, this world will never end and therefore sin will never end. The solution to sin, so to speak, what we're saying, what we're labeling as sin here, uh, is Christ. He paid for all of it. But I think that uh, uh, living by the Spirit while in the flesh is the whole purpose of of what Jesus did. I don't want to uh, be a spoiler of films or of uh, documentaries, so if you haven't watched the documentary on the Fry, F-Y-R-E Festival, um, turn down the volume on whatever you're listening to because I'm going to give you a spoiler alert and I'm going to go like this and that means I'm done talking about it and then you can turn it back up. All right? So, you got that? So, uh, some of you are aware of this 
Fry Festival fraud that went on in the Bahamas. And it was organized by this charming, toothy con man. And he promised the world uh, that if they attended, uh, it would be kind of like a Bahamian Woodstock experience for the rich. And, and what he brought in all these supermodels, the biggest models in the world, and had them frolic in the surf in the Bahamas and took pictures of it and started promoting this festival. And his team lured the, the rich millennials and trust funders with pictures of these models frolicking in the sea and phony illustrations of villas, beachside villas that you could rent. And it has the most radical experience on earth waiting for them. Blink-182 is going to be there and all these bands are going to be there, right? So they're raking in the dough from all over the world from people who believed in the pitch and the promise and uh, the hype. And they uh, paid hundreds of thousands of dollars in advance to have tickets and, and wristbands that you could charge on and, and all these luxurious villas, etc., private planes. And so, but the organizer was a fraud. I mean, he's a complete con man. So he painted pictures of these promises and he got people to buy into him. And instead of villas, the people get there and they have these tents that were given to the um, uh, hurricane survivors and their beds in there are soaking wet, completely soaked through because of the rain the night before. And it was total chaos. One third of the guests showed up on the first day and they, it was so chaotic that they just said, take whatever tent you can. Night falls, it turned into Lord of the Flies, and it was every man, every woman for himself. They didn't have proper anything, no yachts, no villas, and then they dropped the bomb the next day. There is no Fry Festival, right? So um, the con worked because they got the money, they stripped the money from the people. And... Uh, and but it didn't work because the founder was sent to prison. Uh, but I couldn't help but thinking about all the cons that have gone on in the name of God over the course of history. It's the same principle. You know, let me pitch to you this vision, except it's even worse because there's no way to validate the vision they're pitching. You know, you, you, you die. You don't know if you're going to get 70 virgins. You don't know if you're going to become a god. You don't know, we don't know if you're going to sit on a cloud. We don't know any of the visions that are pitch, pitched out to us. It's just they're pitched to us, and we buy into them, and we lock, stock, and barrel grip them. Just think of how many people have died over the past 2,000 years who have believed Jesus was coming back to get them. How many people have died with that disappointment that it didn't happen in their lifetime? I mean, there are people out there who actually believe they're going to be a god when they die. They actually believe they're going to have 70 ver Why 70? I don't know. I mean, I could see 82, but 70. Uh, the, I mean, the pitches are unbelievable. The real estate we're selling people in heaven without any basis at all for it, at all, except the promise of Jesus to people then about if you believe on it, you'll be saved from the destruction and be taken up. So, we are talking about people who today are giving their time, their talent, their money, their attention, their allegiance, everything to the pastor or the board in charge. 
And we watch con games uh, like on the Fry Festival documentary, and we say, those fools, what a bunch of idiots, pay all that money for that. And yet, I mean, we, we do it ourselves with the religions that we're following. We all, people who are religious, have done it themselves. They haven't done the homework. I mean, the people who in the Fry Festival who did their homework didn't get, didn't get conned. But the people who don't do their homework, they get taken. And so we're all about doing the homework and finding out what's good. So consider that. All right. There's a lot of English words that are just loaded with meaning. And I'm talking about words that are nine months pregnant. Uh, you know, and you say them and they have a tremendous impact. We know the N-word is never even mentioned. We, we, that, we don't even get near that one. It is so pregnant with meaning. And there's other, wor- other words that are very powerful. Um, cult is a powerful word. A saint is a powerful word. Dick, jerk, ass, uh, con, fraud. Those are powerful words. When you say them, we automatically conjure something up about the person or the institution that those words are thrown at. And if you really want to make them big, add a, add total in front of them. A total dick, right? We can differ. I mean, how do you, what's the difference between an ass, a jerk, and a dick? There's, there's differences in how you are going to define that. But if you put total in front of any of those three, we get the point. We know the person is really, really bad, right? So um, over the years, like many of you, and as a result of many uh, avenues of, of media, uh, I've been able to indulge in something that I do on when I have spare time, and that is I indulge in documentaries or books, um, uh, typically uh, uh, about serial killers or murderers. They're, they're, it's very interesting to me, probably because I probably would have been one if I hadn't have found the Lord. So, um, and so I know a lot about guys like the BTK killer and uh, Dahmer and Ed Kemper and uh, Stapleton Shipman, uh, Gary Ridgway, the Green River guy. I've read books on them, and I've also read a lot of books on cult leaders and, and all of that. And along the way, by listening to these documentaries and reading books, there's a word that people who knew these serial killers as normal citizens, the neighbor or brother or business partner, will use consistently to describe almost all of them except for the son of Sam. Son of Sam, is, this word is not used to describe him. But the rest of them, this word is used. And remember, we're talking about some of the most heinous killers. That's seven letters, by the way. Prolific, eight letters. Diabolical, 10 letters. Manipulative, 12 letters. Of most base predators on earth. What word do friends and colleagues and people who knew them in their private life use to describe them? Got a guy in our audience who's going like this. <laughs> Controlling. Controlling. Now, admittedly, the noun control is a great word. It's a positive word. Uh, we like it when people are in control, right? 
We want our bus driver to be in control, our pilots to be in control, our brain surgeons to be in control, our accountants to be in control. It's a really good word. It's positive. It's a good image when we use it towards somebody. Bill is in control. We get an idea of what that means. But if you add an ing to that noun and you transform it into an adjective, that good word becomes one of the most sinister words that you can ever apply to an institution or an individual. Controlling to a husband or to a wife. Um, Why? There are uh, a number of reasons. First, I believe completely that God is a God of liberty. And he is one of whom freedom of choice um, is paramount. Paramount. It's important to him. So important that he lets a lot of really bad stuff go down at our hands, right? He doesn't jump in and stop it. Freedom is important. So in the Garden of Eden, uh, he gave Adam and Eve a choice. Now, people can say, oh, he knew what they would do, but that didn't affect their choice. He gave them a choice to say otherwise, I believe, is incorrect. And because of this initial act, I see him being this way in all things, which is contrary to the five-point Calvinist view, which makes me wretch, and the, the humanist, the atheist view, which makes me wretch too. No, my God is a God of choice and liberty, and if we are to be his bond servants, always by choice, you don't have to be a bond servant to Christ. You can choose any time you want to walk away from it. Uh, it's never by compulsion. He doesn't force us. You can choose even when the Spirit says, love that person, to say, I'm not gonna. That's how there is a reciprocity and how we will be judged. So, of course, Satan, when he was an earthly operative, remember that, and now the power of darkness, which is in its place, stands opposite to God. Those forces are always about promoting or doing things to control others. They're controlling. Um, So, in and through sin, most of the sins or darkness that we talk about, the sins that we will do, lead to bondage. Almost everything. You name the sin it will lead to bondage of some sort, whether it's addicted to substances, if you want to call that, you know, gluttony, if you want to call uh, pornography, if you want to call adultery, they all lead to a form of bondage, right? Darkness is is, is an expression that leads to bondage. So in time, Satan used the very law of God to take a whole people and put them in bondage, right? So remember what, Isaiah said, though, when he prophesied of the Messiah, he said, the uh, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. This is Isaiah uh, 61.1. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good tidings to the afflicted and to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. Liberty to captives, Right? And to open the prison to those who are bound. That was, what, that was a prophetic utterance of what Jesus would do, right? And Isaiah 42, 6-7 says, I have given you as a covenant people a light to the nations to open the eyes of the blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison of those who sit in darkness. Light brings liberty, and it brings uh, sight, 
and it brings open minds and thought and communications and freedom of movement and freedom of ideas and freedom of opinion. That's what light does. Darkness limits us. It causes us to stumble. We can't see. It obscures truth. All These are just simple principles. David wrote in Psalms 119.45, And I will walk at liberty, for I seek God's precepts. Paul said in Romans 8.21, he speaks of the glorious liberty of the children of God. He adds in 2 Corinthians 3.17, Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Did you hear it? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. You can change that to freedom if you want. There's some differences in the English language between those two words. But where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Where the Spirit of darkness is, there's controlling factors. There's no liberty to speak your mind, to have an opinion, to differ, to go against the, uh, the grain. You can't do it in places where the Spirit of Christ is is diminished. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 3.17, I mean, in James 1.5, he talks about, it's a really great phrase, he talks about the uh, perfect law of liberty. The perfect law of liberty. And of course, John 8.31, you know it all. What did Jesus say there? He says, if you continue in my word, you're my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you a prisoner to religion. No, oh, the truth will make you obey your pastor. Oh, no, the truth will make you obliged to conform to their ways and rules and all their stuff that they say, right? No, he said, and the truth will set you free. Free. You cannot be free and be in bondage at the same time to something. You're not free. So, controlling men and women and the institutions they create... They want to inhibit or kill liberty to the best of their ability. I get this when it comes to, you know, uh, maybe corporations in the workforce. You've got to have some controls. You've got to be controlling over a lot of things for safety, etc. And, you know, our laws on the, on, the, on, the, on the road sometimes, things like that. I get there being a controlling nature with how our... Um, Pilots fly and how these things. I'm, but we're talking about religion and we're talking about interpersonal relationships. Those two things. When you take a woman and she says, my husband's controlling that 11 letter word. Man, that is a bad scene for everybody involved. Everyone involved. So I don't get it when controlling gets involved in interpersonal relationships of any kind Friends, marriage, father, mother to children. I, I can't stand controlling uh, parents. We were not controlling parents of our kids. They, they never had a curfew. They could eat what they wanted. They could dress any way they wanted. They could go to parties where beer was served. They could, the only, we had two rules, really, and it was you can't get any tattoos. We had three daughters. And, uh, and the, the other one was you can't watch MTV. That was as controlling as we got. You don't want to go to school? Don't. I wouldn't want to go to school either. We were not controlling. I think anytime you institute controlling on, on people, you are doing a darkness 
and not bringing light. And I know that can be argued with that uh, on that. The controlling comes through a number of ways, and it usually starts in the in the uh, macro, and then it works down to the micro. Uh, first, they want to control behaviors, general behaviors, through subtle cultural demands. Everybody wears a Tommy Bahama shirt on Saturdays at our at our at our church gathering. You know, we don't like that one thing. Just a little bit, you know. Just try to control some behaviors. Then they start trying to shut down opinions. Well, we don't think you should say that. You know, that's that's not something that Christians will say. And then they start controlling beliefs, you know. You start saying, I'm not sure hell is really a, a part of the whole thing anymore. Oh, no, 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 no. And then everyone else, no, 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 no. And if you don't cave in and conform, you'll be cast out by virtue of the culture or by someone actually telling you you're not welcome here. And then they start controlling specific words and word choices you can use, you know, or you must use. Trinity, you got to use, you know. Are, do you believe in the Trinity? And, and then they start to control or try to control your thoughts. That's when it really gets bad. You know, they, and, and they do that by trying to control external input. You shouldn't be reading that. You shouldn't be seeing that. You shouldn't be listening to that. You know, that's when they start to try to get in your freaking brain and control your brain to make sure that they have that, right? And then it comes down to, the, the ultimate is when they just try to control everything about your life, your job, your marriage, your kids, your sex life, your uh, recreation, the movies you see, you, how much you do, what, everything is controlled. So the more sinister the, the religious institution, the more cult-like it is, the more controlling they are. Every bit of it is antithetical to the spirit of liberty, which is the spirit of the Lord, who writes his laws on our hearts and on our minds individually. And listen, me as a filter with the law of God in me might spew out things that are at a different level, lower level perhaps, than what you as a filter spewing out the law of God. The law of God's going to be the same on our hearts and minds, but we're individuals and we will express them differently. That has to be allowed. It has to be allowed unless... It comes to down to someone who is threatening the safety of another person, you know. And, and I'm not being an extremist here. There, there are times when some people go wacko with liberty. But nevertheless, you got to be free. So most controlling entities, and this is the reason why I say it's the most in, uh, sinister word in the English language. There are a couple, not a couple, there's a number of traits that come with being a controlling person or a controlling institution. Uh, and, I, and I've got sort of a list here. Let me talk. One is they tend to be aggressive. And I know this because I used to be very controlling when I was younger and I was Mormon. I was a controlling bastard. But when I came to know Christ, he broke me free from that BS. But you tend to be aggressive. Mm. And that means... Even through your movements, your facial expressions, the words, um, bringing people into compliance with what you want. And, uh, you know, the Christian ethic should be gentle and kind and, and, and long-suffering. And they tend to be all or nothing, the institutions and the people. And that means when you're in their good graces, they love you. They're slapping your back. You're, they're your buddy and your friend and everything else. But when you disappoint an individual or a controlling group, 
They turn as cold as ice. And so you're constantly trying to figure out, what did I do wrong? You know, you know, you, you loved me yesterday. Now you won't even talk to me. There's this ebb and flow of how they treat you. It's an all or nothing thing. They either all love you or they all hate you. And it comes out through the controlling thing. They assume a lot of things. They operate on assumptions. And Christians, we're not supposed to think evil. We're supposed to really try to resist thinking evil or not quick to, to judge. There's blame. Always blame with controlling institutions and uh, people. Uh, because they never want to be uh, wrong. They are always right. In the Mormon church, if you leave, you're wrong. There's something wrong with you. Always. The institution's never wrong. Right? And they compete. Even if you don't know there's a competition, there's a competition going on. And you're like, I, I didn't even know that. I called you seven times and you only called me twice. I mean, geez. You know, that's control to try to get you to perform. And they're keeping a tally on everything that's done, whether it's money or it's attendance or volunteerism or hours. They know because they want to control you. Uh, they're critical, condemning, sometimes so bad that they will degrade you. They deny that there's a problem. Oh, no, I, there's no problem. I'm fine. You know, Christ said, if you have a problem, you go and you talk it out. Like adults. You say, hey, this happened, and I have a problem with it. And then afterward, you hug. I'm sorry. I love you. I love you, too. And it's done. It's a beautiful system. But they're den- controllers are deniers. No, nothing wrong at all. They give you the cold shoulder. Jeez, you know, what do I need to do here to make this happen? Nothing. We're fine, you know? You controlling fricker. Um, They dominate situations, obviously. They will exploit others. This is interesting. With individual control freaks, they're gift givers. They give gifts constantly because by doing that, they get you an obligation to them. And uh, it's interesting. God told Moses, listen, take no gift. It says, for the gift blinds the wise and perverts the words of the righteous. And control people know that. If they slip you a great gift, man, you're beholden to, you know, make them feel good because they gave you such a nice gift. God told Moses, don't take a gift. It will, it will pervert your righteousness and your ju- righteous judgment and your wisdom. And, uh, of course, there's contents, context to that. You know, not all gift givers are control uh, people. Some of them are very generous gift givers. But uh, if you find a controlling person, you often will find them being a gift giver. Big-time guilters, they're fact-finders, too. They want to know everything about everyone all the time. Where you've been, what you're doing, what it's going on, they want to know. Instead of just letting people live and let live, and not caring about the, the dirty laundry of Mike at the back of the church or Bill at the front and all that stuff. You just let it go. But no, controlling institutions, they want the facts. Why? Because they use those to control you and, and uh, bring you around. They're interrogators. Have you ever been with an interrogator before? Like, you think you're just having a, hey, it's nice to meet you. You think you're having a, hey, it's nice to meet you conversation. But in reality, it's a size up through a number of interrogating questions. So, how long have you been a Christian? Oh, how long have you been a pastor? Oh, where'd you go to school? Oh, okay. Uh, what Bible do you read? Oh, yeah. Uh, shut up. They use isolation sometimes. They're jealous. They, they're jealous of any external stuff. Churches are jealous that you go to another church. 
Churches are jealous that you visit somewhere else and learn something different because they can't control you when you do. And of course, they're great manipulators. And, and part of that all or nothing, they're very moody. And, and, and they're often over-explainers. Let me, let me tell you this. What they do is you have a, a conversation that will take two minutes to get all the information you need, and it takes 45. That's a controller because what they do is they wear you down so much that they can overwhelm you with words, and then you just sort of wave the white flag and say, I'll do whatever you want. You know, kiss me, Fred. So, uh, uh, but at the same time, institutions do the same thing. I remember in the Mormon church, man, if they had a state conference, they didn't care about the social contract of time between the audience and, and getting tired of sitting there two hours. If they wanted to go two hours and 45 minutes, they'd do it. There are pastors who will take a, a captive audience and you have a social contract. We go for an hour and 10 minutes every time we meet. They will break that and they'll go for three hours. Why? Because it's a way to control you and break you down and just get you to wave the white flag. They all do it. And of course, they use silence and then they're always the victim in situation. So when a person or a religious institution appeals to controlling measures... I would suggest they are using tools of darkness, not of the light of liberty. That, that God's way and God's church and Christ is all about freedom, completely about liberty, in every way for every person in everything. That includes whether you are baptized, join the church, come to church, pay money to the church, volunteer. Everybody's treated the same. Everybody has a voice. Do we see that? We don't because they want to control you because they want their claws in you because by having their claws, they benefit. And it's, it's not just, it's not animus that I have against uh, the religion. It's animus against freedom. It's animus against lo- loss of control in people's lives to be, do, say what they want and still be accepted in a church of believers. Really quickly, in Galatians 2.4, he warns, Paul warns the believers there. He says, Beware of false brethren who secretly come in uh, to privately spy out our liberty. You know, they wanted to come in and bring the law in Galatians. They wanted them to be circumcised and, and obey the Sabbath day. He said, Paul said, Beware of those guys who do it. All right? He said in 1 Corinthians relative to those people who try to judge others. Ready? He said, why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? In the new covenant, where God writes his laws on our hearts and minds, why in any way can another man or woman look at another person and judge them through their conscience? They can't. You, we can't. I cannot judge another Christian. I don't care if they are, you can take the most extreme example of anything you want. If they tell me that they love the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to trust the, the, their words and I'm going to let God work it out and I'm going to love them and welcome them and fellowship with them because that is when God, what, what he writes on our hearts and minds. Who cares about the, the failures in the flesh? They're always going to exist. We all have them. Let's get real. But we cannot, with our conscience, judge another man and what God has written on his heart and what that person has. And yet we do exactly that as Christians today, especially in the churches. And, and Paul also said in, to the church of Galatia, stand fast, fast 
therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with a yoke of bondage. When I read a yoke of bondage, anything that will bring bondage should be discarded. Don't you agree? If you agree, rise up. Tell your pastor. Go to your same church that you've gone to since you were a kid. Tell the pastor you're putting us in bondage. I'm not going to put up with it. I'm going to walk. I'm going to write a letter. I'm going to send an email. Let's revolt. Let's go against this crap. Why? Because it's going to help our kids and our grandkids and great-grandkids and future generations to not be taken advantage of by these controlling measures. Peter, in 2 Peter 2.19, said, They promised them liberty, but they themselves are servants of corruption. Now is the time, man. Let's break the corrupt hearts who are serving themselves. They're, They're serving themselves. Let's break free from the controlling factors in our lives. Let's jump into the arms of Jesus, who's the good shepherd. Let him lead us by the Spirit. He will let us choose how we want to respond to it. He will let, leave it up to us how we want to be as Christians. And let's live and let live and destroy the controlling factors in our lives. All right, do we have any calls? Okay, we're going to wrap it up uh, next week. Join us here on Heart of the Matter.